It's so good to be with you again at Middle Collegiate Church. I loved being with you last November. Then I was with you live. Now, well, it's 2020. What can we say? So I grew up in the city, Akron, Ohio, the rubber capital of the world. When the wind blew in from the east, the whole town smelled like burning rubber. When I was 15 years old, my family moved to rural eastern Kentucky, and I loved it there. I was never going to leave. But then when I was in college, I had these friends who were prone to taking risks, and they decided to take this trip to New York. And I never would have gone, except I had met this girl from New York. And well, after a week in New York, I definitely was not crazy about the place. On the other hand, I was pretty crazy about the girl. In fact, I ended up marrying her. But still, as I left New York at the end of that trip, I said loudly in the car, oh, dear God, don't ever make me come back to this place again. And then for the next 35 years, I lived in New York and loved it. Stranger things have happened to those who did not want to go to the city. Just ask Jonah. And we really don't know whether these people wanted to go to the city or not, but the fact is, they ended up in the city. What was the city? Antioch. After Rome and Alexandria, it was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. Located about 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, it was known for commerce, carousing, and corruption. Such a corrupt city that at least one historian said that a major reason for the downfall of the Roman Empire was the decadence and corruption that existed within the city of Antioch. But it's interesting because another careful historian, Luke was his name, writing the book of Acts, tells us a lot about the city of Antioch and never once did he talk about what was wrong with Antioch. Instead, he just talked about the possibilities of Antioch because indeed Antioch was the city in which Christianity became the religion of an entire civilization. How did that happen? That's what I want us to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with the 19th verse. And let's see what happened that we might be able to learn from in the city of Antioch. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, who were these nameless people from Cyprus and Cyrene? We don't know, but they were the first explorers of that declared Gentile age, the first ones to take the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish population. And word of what they had done got back to the old first church in Jerusalem. And what was the response of the people there? Well, I can just imagine a couple of them talking. You hear what's going on over in Antioch? Well, no, what's going on? Word has it from a reliable source. They're taking the gospel to Gentiles there. Gentiles? 
I didn't hear anything about that at the church conference. I didn't either. What do you think we should do? I think we should cut off their financial support. Is that what the church in Jerusalem did? Well, I know human nature well enough to know that's probably what some people in the church in Jerusalem wanted to do, but thank goodness they were not the decision makers. No, the decision makers decided to sacrificially send one of their best, most promising young men, Barnabas, to go help start a new church in the city of Antioch. It's because they understood what Jesus had been talking about on his very last day of public ministry, when in answer to the last public question he was ever asked about which laws were the most important, he said, it's just three things, loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. Incredibly simple. I did not say easy. And they knew that loving their neighbor meant loving every single human being with whom they come in contact, maybe even especially those who were not like them. So they decided to sacrificially send one of their best to take the gospel of Jesus, the message that God loves us just as we are, to the people of Antioch. So I knew from the time I was three or four years of age that I was transgender. I always thought a gender fairy would arrive and then ask me, well, what do you want to be? And I would say, of course, what I was, a girl, but alas, no gender fairy arrived. So I just lived my life. I didn't hate being a boy. I just knew I wasn't one. Went to college, got married, had kids, built a career. But the call toward authenticity has uh, all the subtlety of a smoke alarm. And eventually I transitioned just six years ago. And oh my, the things I've discovered since then. And one of the biggest discoveries is just how entitled I was as a well-educated white American male. I had no idea how privileged I was. And the truth is I'll not live long enough to lose my male privilege. I brought it with me when I transitioned. But that does not mean I don't see my power diminishing. My middle daughter was adopted from Calcutta, India when she was just two months of age. She's in her early 40s now. And shortly after I transitioned, she said, so now maybe you're understanding just a tiny bit of what I've experienced my entire life. And I think it is only a small, tiny bit. Nevertheless, those of us who are transgender are only 0.58% of the American population. And right now, for whatever reason, a lot of people do not like us. Did you know that today, in 2020, in 27 states of the United States this year, 76 bills have been introduced in legislatures to take away the basic civil rights of transgender people? This coming week, November 20, is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And this year, it's even worse than last year. We know at least 33 transgender people have lost their lives by violence this year, most of them black and brown transgender women. What's going on? Why does the world hate us so much? Well, you know, the desert religions, all three of them began as religions of scarcity. All three Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, started out as religions of scarcity, and as such, they had an attitude of scarcity. We're in the desert. There's not a lot of resources here. We've got to take care of our own. But interestingly, as all three of those religions have developed, 
They've become very generous religions in their more liberal forms, but unfortunately, in their fundamentalist forms, they remain religions of scarcity. In the evangelical Christian world in the United States, one of the biggest enemies they've identified is us, the transgender population. You know, the truth of the matter is no election is going to change the kinds of difficulty we have in our nation today. We've not had this kind of polarization in 150 years. We are, in fact, an extremely polarized nation. And what will bring us back together? It's not going to be yelling at each other across a debate stage. It's not going to happen screaming at each other on social media. I think there's really only one way that we can come together, and that is by getting in close proximity to one another, to be on the same front porch, the same front stoop, to be in the same room together, and to tell each other our stories. You know, when you think about it, we are, in fact, a narrative-based species. You don't sleep without dreaming, and you don't dream in mathematical equations, you dream in stories. The need for story is downright biological, and the power of story can change minds. We humans will change our minds, but unfortunately we do not change our minds unless information comes to us in a non-threatening way. And what's the least threatening way to receive new information? A well-told story. Think of John Hersey's Hiroshima, or the diary of a young girl by Anne Frank, or Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Three books, three well-told stories that change the world's attitudes. Telling each other our stories in close proximity to one another, that is what will bring about change. In my own situation, I speak a lot at universities and colleges all over the United States and Canada. I'm well compensated for it. So I decided I would offer to go to Christian universities in the U.S., evangelical schools, at my own expense to talk with them about my transgender experience. I thought, they'll have to see that I'm a relatively normal human being, you know, as normal or not normal as they are. And once you know me, well, you know, you may not think I'm perfect, you may not even like me, but you're going to have to admit I probably have every reason to expect to have civil rights here in this nation we share together. And so I offered to go to several schools. One school took me up on it. It's actually a university where I used to teach in their doctoral program. The psychology department had me in. I spoke for a number of classes. The provost sat in every single class to make sure what I was saying was going to be okay. I spoke to about 75 students who were in the Master of Arts in Counseling program. I think for most of them, I was the first transgender person they'd ever met. I had a number of students come out to me, tell me that they had been through conversion therapy. I listened to their stories. It was a wonderful week. The psychology department invited me back. I said yes. But then I found out that while I was there that week, the wife of the former president and another person, one of my former co-workers, had joined together to get all the alumni up in arms and contact the administration to demand that I never be allowed to come back again. And so I haven't been. 
There's only so much I can do to share my story. But you can. You can share my story. We need allies, allies to the transgender and gender non-binary community, allies who will speak our stories, who will tell of their knowledge of us and the life we live. We need accomplices who will work at our direction, who will ask us, what do you need from me? We need assistants who will come alongside us and carry the message with us because you can go places I cannot go. And you can tell your story, listen to the stories of others, and you can tell my story. Because it's only through telling stories that we will break down the barriers. And that brings us back to our text. Why did the church in Jerusalem send Barnabas off to Antioch? Well, Barnabas was a wonderful ally, a great accomplice. First of all, he was an independent thinker. Earlier, when everyone else rejected the idea that Paul might be an apostle, who stood firmly with Paul? Barnabas. And yet later on, he and Paul had a big disagreement over what to do about Mark. He was his own man. Nobody was going to tell him what to think. He'd learn how to think. He was willing to focus on the importance of taking the gospel, the good news that God loves everyone just as they are, to the Gentile people, even if no one else thought it was important. He wasn't just an independent thinker. He was also a positive thinker. What was his name? His name was not Barnabas. His name was Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas. And what did that nickname mean? It meant son of encouragement. Now there's a real nickname for you. You know, my son played Little League Baseball forever, and his next to the last season, his team was 2-14. and 14. That's right. They lost 14 games. They lost the last game of the season that year, 34 to 5. You ever go to one of those games? You're praying for an early sunset, a thunderstorm, anything. Game's over. Kids are turning in their uniforms. One of the kids is crying. And Jonathan said to him, hey, man, don't worry about it. We're going to win them all next year. I turned to the father next to me and said, that's my boy. He just batted 111, but he's a positive thinker. The next year, Jonathan batted 354, and the team was 1-15. in 15. But hey, he's a positive thinker, and what's he doing now? He started a new church in Brooklyn, New York, Forefront Church, a church that speaks out on behalf of people like me, a church that helped start the church I pastor in Boulder County, Colorado, left-hand church. Barnabas was an independent thinker and a positive thinker and a man who did not fear failure. He failed pretty significantly. Paul tells us about it later on in Galatians, but, you know, he probably understood what Rilke was talking about at the end of his poem, The Man Watching. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows, by being defeated decisively by constantly greater beings. You know, I'm not here today because of the church in Jerusalem. It did not take Christianity to my ancestors. It's the church in Antioch that took Christianity to my ancestors. Because the church in Jerusalem and Barnabas were willing to go to people not like them, to get in close proximity to them, to listen to their stories, to tell their story, and to give them the good news that God loves us just as we are. Do you know how I think we will change the narrative today? I think it's going to take the church to do it. Churches just like yours, willing to say, we're going to do our best to close the gap, to narrow the gap, 
To show the love of God to absolutely everyone, we're going to get in close proximity to one another. We're going to tell each other our stories, and we're going to listen carefully to each other's stories. All it's going to take is one single church like the church in Jerusalem, and then one Barnabas from within that church willing to say, well, use me, God, to get the job done. And then one more church like the church in Jerusalem, and one more Barnabas. So it looks to me like you are, in fact, already that kind of church. I mean, Middle Collegiate is, in fact, an extraordinary church. So we have the church. So I guess the important question is, will you be that Barnabas? Thank you.